Now, there's a frightening word, isn't it? Mission. It seems that as our country seems to become less and less Christian, it's harder and harder to talk about Jesus. In a survey, well, not a survey, actually, I think it was the um, 2001 census, 70% of UK adults considered themselves to be Christians. In a recent survey that was taken, only 53% of UK adults considered themselves to be Christians. That's an almost 20% drop in six years. But it wasn't all bad news, this survey. Based on the figures that were given, um, obviously it wasn't a whole nationwide survey, it was a smaller group that was surveyed. But based on those figures that came back, three million UK adults will be willing to go to church if given the right invitation. Let me put that another way. Three million UK adults would be willing to go to church if given the right invitation. You're still here. You haven't rushed out to invite people in. I can understand that. You're waiting for a better speaker to bring them into. Totally understandable. That's almost one, well, it's around one in five of the population of the UK. It's an amazing number of people who would be willing to come in if only they were asked. I heard a story recently about two boys. Every Sunday, one of them went to church. One of them played football with his group. Several times, the boy who played football said to his friend, why don't you come play with me? But he said, no, 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 I, I have to go to church. It was a few years later that the boy who played football said to his friend, look, I've invited you to football so many times. Why haven't you invited me to church? Didn't you want me there? Wasn't I good enough? Last week was Pentecost, the church's birthday. We remember on Pentecost how the Holy Spirit was given and 3,000 people from all over the place who spoke all sorts of different languages heard the message. Well, probably more than 3,000 heard the message, but 3,000 responded and were added to the church. What we often don't realise when we think about it, as we think about it, is the birth of the church. Those 3,000 people were all Jews, every single one of them. They had all come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. That's the equivalent of people just who walk into our church to see what's going on and to hear our message. Now, that's great, and that's wonderful, and thank God for everyone who does. But that's not quite what Jesus actually said he wanted. He didn't say to his disciples, 
wait around for people to come to you, then tell them about me. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I think this was another major step on the church, the growth of the church, actually becoming what it should be. After receiving the Holy Spirit, this was the next step they had to take. It was always God's intention that it would not be restricted to the Jews, the church. The church was for greater things than that. It was for the world. Way back, right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when God was talking to Abraham, he said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So it's not a New Testament thing. It's not a new church thing. This was always God's plan. All the nations of the earth, people from all over the place. Now in the reading that um, Peter just brought to us, God had been carefully preparing Peter for this next step. It was a major step for the Jews, who were very much thought of themselves as a separated people. The church, up until that point, was pretty much exclusively Jewish. Just before the reading, God came and gave Peter a vision. Three times he lowered, um, or in the vision he saw lowered this thing full of food to eat, but it was food that was unclean, it wasn't kosher. The Jews shouldn't touch it. And Peter was going, no, 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 yeah, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to touch that, that would make me unclean. And God said, why are you calling it unclean if I'm telling you to eat it? He did it three times to get the message over that maybe the Jews had to step outside, or maybe the Christians had to step outside of what they were happy with and what they expected from God. There was something bigger on the way. Peter had already made great strides. You might not have noticed it, but in the reading, or at least just before it, Peter was staying with Simon the tanner. Probably a Jew, but what does a tanner do? He takes the hides off of dead animals and prepares them. Terribly, terribly unclean job. You wouldn't go and stay with a tanner. That would make you ceremonially unclean. Peter had actually made a big step already in doing that. When the invitation came to go and speak to the Gentiles the non-Jews, Peter's ready. And he realises, I now realise how true it is, God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. We stopped the reading before the message that Peter gave, um, but he, he told them about Jesus and the Gospel. And they accepted it. I think that is the final hurdle that the church had to overcome to truly become the church that God wanted, the step outside of the nation, to reach out beyond its own, to take God's love to those who thought they were outside of it, or perhaps knew nothing about God's love. Personally, I think 
This is the church's true purpose here on earth. It's the church's mission is to take the gospel to those who don't know. I mean, worshipping God is great. Getting together, learning about him is wonderful. Praising him is really important. There are all these really good and great things that we do as Christians, and they are really important. But we can spend eternity doing all of them as well. There's only one thing we can do for God now that we can't do for God in eternity. That's tell people who don't know him about him. We won't be able to do that in heaven. That's impossible. That's why the church is here now. Maybe that's why people don't disappear up to heaven the moment they become saved. Wouldn't that be great? Not having to go through all the things that um, maybe aren't so good some of the time. Straight into God's presence for eternity. But he wants us here. To grow, true. To grow and learn from him. But I think actually a lot of that comes from doing the other thing. From, from living out your Christian life in a world that doesn't know him. In fact, I strongly believe that every Christian should be involved in mission. Every Christian should be involved in mission. Now some are actually gifted and called to go to places far away. I, I see that a lot of people who, who, who believe that, who do that in, um, in, in my work. Some are gifted just to speak to those around them. Some God puts in places so that those around them can hear about him, can see, see him living in his children. Some he enables to pray in special ways for others. Some he enables to support others, to help them, to encourage them. Not everyone's on the front line. Not everyone is good at, at that part of it. And I don't think everyone is um, necessarily meant to be good at that part of it. He gives us different gifts. But every Christian should be involved in some way. Um, at, at, at SIM, we realised and tried to make it clear that we don't send missionaries overseas. The church sends missionaries overseas. It's not, not us. What we do is we help them get there. We supply the knowledge, the backup, the training, uh, that sort of thing. But it's the church that sends. And that's exactly what the church should be doing. It's the local church that actually sends people out, sends us out into your day-by-day job, into our day-by-day, whatever it is, wherever we are, the people we meet, maybe our families, to be Christ where we are. If this message isn't true, if this gospel of salvation isn't really that important, then, then all of this is pointless. Our coming together, our meeting, all the things we do. If it's just a nice thing to believe about Jesus, then we might as well give up. But if it's true, if it's really true, then nothing is more important. Nothing is more important than people finding Christ.
being a witness. In this first story we heard, set way back in Old Testament times, when David was king of Israel, just before the story, his, his family was falling apart, basically, David's. Um, Absalom, one of his sons, had um, usurped the throne. David and his men had fleed, had fled, fleed, had fled um, Jerusalem, and they'd, um, they'd holed up in a, a fortified city called um, Mananaim, I believe. Mahanaim, rather. And Absalom had sent the army after him. I mean, you kill, kill the king, and then you can be undisputed king. David wants to go out with his men and fight, but his men persuade him, no, that's not a good idea. If you get killed, even accidentally in the battle, the whole cause is lost. You're the king. You stay there, we will go and fight for you. They actually say, if a thousand of us die, it's not as important as if you die. And they go and fight, and they win. They win the battle. And so they've got to take the message back to David, who's, who's waiting, not knowing what's happened in this fortified city. And the message, it's got good news. We won. The battle's over. But there's bad news as well. Your son, your own son, is dead. Now, in the bit we heard, Ahimaz, he really wants the job of telling the king. He really wants to run back, he wants to tell the king, he just sees it as what he should be doing. The commander decides, actually, it, you're not the best person for this job. Let's send a Cushite, this Cushite here. He'd be a much better messenger. And, and he sends him. You know, Job, the commander, sends um, the Cushite. And basically, Ahimaz badgers the commander so much that he says, after the other one's gone, he says, oh, okay, go. You go too. And he takes a shortcut, as we heard. And he gets there first. He gives the good news that they have won. He tells the king that. He, he really wanted to tell the king. But the king asks him about Absalom. How's his son? Is he captured? What's happened? And Ahimaaz replies, I saw a great confusion just as Job was about to send the king's servant and me, your servant. But I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Is he lying? Certainly looks like that. I mean, Job said, we don't want to send you this bad news. The king's son's dead. It does seem that he, he did know, but he just didn't want to answer the question. And we sometimes like that with the gospel. I mean, the gospel is good news. It's the salvation God brings to the world. But it does include bad news, that the world stands condemned before God. The people stand condemned before God. And without their acceptance of the good news, they're lost. That is part of the good news. Would we rather not tell it? Would we rather leave that bit out? Just make it a nice, it's a nice warm thing to know God. And leave out the bad news. Let's give Ahimaz the benefit of the doubt, shall we? 
Maybe he didn't know. Maybe, maybe he, the, he, Job mentioned that in passing, but he hadn't taken it in. He was too eager. He just wanted to get on and do the job. Maybe he didn't know. Well, he couldn't have actually been there in the heart of the battle if he didn't know. He couldn't have been there when Absalom died. Maybe he was on the outskirts. Maybe he wasn't really there. The Cushite had been there. He did know. David asked him the same question. And he replied, May the enemies of my Lord, the King, and all who rise up to harm you, be like that young man. It's a tactful answer. It's as tactful as he could make it, really. But he does tell the story. He does say, basically, he's dead. He died. The Cushite, we don't know his name, but he knew the whole story. He didn't just say, oh, he's dead. He was careful how he said it. He did it the best way he could. But he had been in the heart of the battle. He knew what had really happened. This was his testimony. Is our testimony like that? Can we talk about our life with God like that? Because we've experienced it. Because it's real. In the reality of God's plan for us, we're all on different stages of, our, of the Christian walk. We're at different points. Sometimes people are very new to it, just learning, and it's, it's all exciting, it's all different, maybe scary in places. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, some for many, many years. But can we tell people of what God's doing in our lives? In Revelation, at the end of the Bible, a voice speaks from heaven, and it's talking about defeating Satan. It's talking about overcoming the world. It says, they overcame him, uh, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's the testimony, it's the witness through what Jesus has done for us when he died for us. But just in our day-to-day life with God, it's our testimony that overcomes the evil one, it says. It's our story. It's that that actually wins the battle of the world in the end. It's not a huge thing. Sometimes we think it's this huge, um, difficult thing, but it's actually their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, that Jesus has died for us, and our testimony, our story, just what we experience. Sometimes we feel that, oh, to talk to people, it has to be very deep. We have to know all the answers. We have to have a deep theological understanding of things. And nope, it says in Revelation, it's our testimony. Just God working in our lives and us talking about him and how we go day by day with him.